I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. I fucking miss this jam, man. That's fucking awesome. I missed that song. <laughs> That's a jam. <laughs> it is a jam. Uh, and, you know, I feel like uh, I feel like we're coming into a timer now where we actually are uh, blowing the wind of God on COVID-19. True. I feel like we're, we're, we're at a bit of a turning point. Um, but except, we're definitely except, socially except, blowing except, that. Except Taylor's on lockdown. <laughs> it is really funny that we started. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Good Tay, bad. why are you in your uh, bathroom? I am in my bathroom because uh, <laughs> Kyla is going to poop. Be careful. You be, you be careful here. <laughs> Kyla is super. We are rationally, <laughs> very rationally uh, creating a 0% chance of COVID right now because Kyle's about to have a baby. And if she got COVID, even though that opportunity or chance is relatively low, then she would have to miss appointments leading up to having giving birth. And if I got COVID within 10 days of her going into labor, then I wouldn't be able to go to the birth. So it's just like a shut it down. Just it'll t- completely eliminate the chance. And uh, so we have no issues. So I'm surprised that you want to be there. I, I always pegged you as the uh, the kind of the kind of partner that um, would just be like, "All right, cool, take care of your stuff, and uh, I'll see you in a couple of days." <laughs> that's that's really that uh, that makes me feel really good about <laughs> about about our relationship and how you view me. I actually thought that I was thinking the same thing too, but it, but it, it surprises me to hear you say that. Like, give that reasoning behind that because um, when we were talking about you, this arrangement. You were saying initially that um, you would actually really just miss that like excitement of like March 2020. Yeah, and so like you were yeah. thinking that it would be fun to like before the baby gets here and there's like all these other things that you have to like 
like worry about and take care of you wanted to like go back into like recreating and like reliving that experience if you will yeah um, and just going into like a like a pretend yeah lockdown yeah well i do i i do i you know there is a part of me that does miss the um you know the march 2020 sort of like slumber party lockdown vibe um, there was a vibe you know, it, it was a vibe right? like i remember yeah. buying like a bunch of liquor and like and like watching like local DJs do tr- Twitch shows and like everybody yeah. was like it, it like it was a fucking vibe. You know, like, it's, it's so it, funny. It, it's it, it's very similar to it's very similar to like when it uh, you know when you when you know there's a snowstorm coming. Yes. Um, yeah. And like you, yeah. you you know you're like ooh the power might go out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah, Brie. Yeah, and then it very um, but then it but then it very quickly wasn't. Yeah, like when the like yeah. like just like in a snowstorm, like when the power goes out. Like the first hour or two, you light candles and you turn your flashlights on, but then you start to like run out of batteries and then you run out yeah. of candles. Yeah. And then the shit in your fridge starts going bad. And then you yeah. realize that it's actually. And then you go, okay, this like, is fucking. I'm, it's an I'm emergency. Fucking done with this. We, we yeah. should make uh, we should make red hats that just say make COVID fun again. <laughs> <laughs> and put that Dude. on our merch store. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good idea. <laughs> I don't know about that. Hey, listen, uh, speaking of COVID and speaking about how you're all in lockdown there, uh, Tay, I bet you would you would love to be uh, one of these people. Now, here, before I say this, an interesting little thing. Since since uh, COVID came out, especially over the last, like, I don't know, year. Since it uh, came two- out, since its, re- since its initial release. So, yeah, since its initial release, <laughs> uh, that hot, hot album off the press, um, since the big hit, <laughs> COVID, um, the two of you, uh, <clears throat> I think you guys rewatched uh, Contagion like recently, right? Like, yeah, I watched it, it. I watched it on the plane from Ecuador to. Oh wow, you should have been to. Uh, Fort they should took you off that flight. <laughs> You're a masochist. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you, you guys, I, I haven't seen it since it came out. I really don't remember anything. But you keep saying. You guys have referenced this on the show several times, and I always just nod and go, oh, yeah. Um, but, like, Matt Damon's <laughs> character, he was, like, convinced he couldn't get it. Is that correct? But, he, but, almost, but that wasn't... Almost immediately. Not even, right. And that's but not... It's not but that conv- wasn't... It's not, it's not him being convinced. It's that he knows and everybody else around him, including people from the CDC and all of the major, uh, all the major, like, health organizations, they are completely accepting of of that as well like so, a portion and, of a small tr- portion of the population you can't get it just has immunity yeah okay and so he, he thought and he was just like i'm one of those people yeah like he was, was he though he he was in like a couple like close like exposure scenarios where like he should have it was like as if as if in contagion they really play it up like <clears throat> as if it was a zombie movie and he got bit Right. And it, yeah. and it didn't and turn it didn't into turn. a zombie. Yeah, right. So, okay. So, yeah, it was like that black and white. Well, okay. So, so this is really interesting. Uh, this article, uh, the title of it is Scientists Seek to Solve Mystery of Why, Pe- Why Some People Do Not Catch COVID. Hmm. Uh, so, Phoebe Garrett, which is uh, this woman right here, uh, has attended university lectures without ca- catching COVID. She's e- even hosted a party where everyone subsequently tested positive except her. Quote, I think I've knowingly been exposed about four times, the 22-year-old said. Uh, in March of 2021, she participated in the f- world's first COVID-19 challenge trial. It sounds like something off a fucking fear factor, um, <laughs> it, which involved uh, uh, <laughs> dripping live virus into her nose Whoa. and and pegging her nostrils uh, shut for several hours. 
in a deliberate effort to infect her. Yeah. Uh, and then she still... got into like a paint mixer and they shook her up. And, like, <laughs> Wait, yeah, hold yeah, on, yeah. hold on. Jay, was this a study? Was this uh, an yes. actual study? Yes, yes. This was a, it was a trial. So, the, oh. so, the, so her and other participants were essentially, they took COVID, liquid COVID, and just fucking daubed it into their nose. Whoa. And then, and then plugged her fucking nose for several hours to make sure it didn't get go anywhere but in. Uh, and her body still resisted it. Uh, she, quote, we had multiple rounds of tests and different methods of testing, throat swabs, nose swabs, other types of swabs that I'd never done before, like nasal wicks, um, oh, where, you, where you hold a swab in your nose for a minute. I was kind of letting that linger there just to make you think that uh, they, they did like a butt swab. Or <laughs> yeah, you know? but that, that is actually <laughs> what I thought. Um, uh, they did blood tests, um, but, but I, I never developed symptoms, never tested positive, Garrett said. Uh, my mom has always said that our family never gets flu, and I've wondered if there's maybe something behind that. Uh, most people know someone who's stubbornly resisted catching COVID, despite everyone around them falling sick. Precisely how do they, re- how they do this remains a mystery, but scientists are beginning to find some clues. The hope is that identifying these mechanisms could lead to the development of drugs that not only protect people from catching COVID, but also prevent them from passing it on. Garrett is not the only challenged trial participant to have avoided becoming infected. Of the 34 who were exposed to the virus, 16 failed to develop an infection, which is really funny. That because that means like like half of those those people <laughs> yeah, that were like, "I'll right. do this trial," they're like, "Ah, fuck!" Now I got you, COVID. Did they select those people because there seemed yes. like there was a high likelihood that they would be resistant? That's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so there wasn't like I a random like, no. 30 no, no people. they were all yeah, people yeah. that were like. Again, you know, at like, a party, everyone catches yeah. it but them. And so they're like, okay, well, the, you seem like a, a good candidate for this. I feel like I would have done well in that in that trial. I mean, I feel like maybe all three of us potentially could have for as, for as, as much as we know. Yeah. Like, none of us have caught it yet. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we know quite a few people in our lives that have. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah. it, it, it is really wild to think like since Omicron started, how many more people I know who have had it we have been totally, for yeah. the most part though i think also because there's like a this like sort of like subconscious bias probably towards like being more cautious and i, I know i i would be the first person to admit that like in the last couple months my um my carefulness towards like you know like making sure that i'm really like washing my hands uh um really well after like every time i go and it, like come and go from my house. Um, I haven't been as good at doing like something like that. Like it's social a good reminder. distancing. Like I, I'm pretty good when I'm in places, but like sometimes I'll now like catch myself like, Oh, I'm pretty close to that person, but mm. obviously like still wearing a mask all the time and stuff. But, but like, guys, I've never been good at washing my hands. Not, not even in the last two years. It's, it's really hasn't, I've just been, I've just been bad at that. I wash yeah, my you're hands. The, you're uh, that guy that goes into the, you're, you're that guy that goes into the Toronto Pearson airport bathroom takes a shit and then just gets up and walks out but i get and everyone looks at you and goes ew ew. yeah you don't even wipe it's crazy Uh, i bidet i bidet 
but uh, but I think and then continue to get to just clip your fingernails as you walk to the gate, just leaving <laughs> yeah. trails of fucking clippings. It's which, disgusting. Which, you're fucking disgusting. You know what's funny is that that you are joking, but you're sort of not too. Because no, no, no. There's a lot of truth to this. There's joke. a lot of truth. To <laughs> it's, this a, joke. it's it's a it's a half it's a half truth at best. It's, it's a, a half, yeah. Uh, it's seventy five percent truth. Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah, quarter yeah. truth. It's a yeah, quarter the, truth. The, the only truth that is the only thing that isn't uh, truth in that truth is that, you is that you're not walking and doing it. You're actually just you're actually just doing it at the gate in front of everyone. Guys, it was a long travel. It was a long travel day. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so long that your nails grew so long. <laughs> yeah, I was sick. I was sick of getting dirt in my fingernails. Um, Jerry, I wanted to ask him. Do, do you feel like you've been like pretty cautious too up until this point too? Yeah. Especially like thinking like yeah. I mean up until you went to the to a clinic. Yeah, up until um, the clinic basically told me, go catch it. <laughs> no, yeah, they didn't say exactly Pokemon that, but, that they, but they certainly made you feel more comfortable did, yeah, with yeah, like, did. like what might happen if you Yeah, I mean, I started going to the gym with yeah. you. Like, I'm considering going back to uh, jiu-jitsu. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm out and about now, and I yeah. feel good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah, I was I was cautious. I was cautious. But like the, you know, even the hand-washing thing, like, I, I early days, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to be really mindful about this and do it well and wash it for like, you know, do the whole like scrubbing in between the fingers thing and two minutes of yeah lathering. Um, well, something, but like that. Something that we were now, talking now about. Now I just the, now I just you know it's back to normal sort of watching. Something that we were talking about the other day when we were talking about masks and and how um, well I mean they're you know mask mandates are are have sort of been dropping all over North America and they're going to be leaving uh, Nova Scotia in the next. Um, by the time this week. comes out, it'll be like ten days, mm-hmm. and. Um, and we we're talking about like kind of what that what that means and everything and kind of going back to just, it, the the conversation about like how COVID isn't just a respiratory disease, but it's like it's been this like massive psychological uh, psychological disorder that, you know, yeah. that basically everyone has suffered from um, in some way or another in terms of like I notice I notice these like little behaviors that I've you know developed um, over the uh, over the past two years, like when we were having the conversation about the mass, we were like talking about how it will taking away mass will of course have a, a massive social benefit from the sense that they, 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 they have social impacts. And one of the social impacts that a negative social impact that mass have is that they, that on a sub, either a conscious or a subconscious level, it's a sim, it's a signal to everybody that like, Hey, we all might be sick. And, 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 and in some cases that's okay. You want, you want to send that signal if you are sick, of course. And, and there's obviously reasons around why we did that for a, re- a really long time, but the, like the underlying sort of, um, um, signal that we are people that all could be sick standing around each other and how, like when I'm going to go take my dog out in, and I live in an apartment building, I will, if I hear people in the hallway, I will just wait for them to be gone because mm-hmm. I go, you know what? I'd rather avoid the scenario where I have to, I have to try and manage like whether you are okay with me going the elevator with you or whether you want to come into the elevator with me or mm, yeah. whatever, like what, like just that situation I'm going, yeah, you know what? I'll just avoid it mm-hmm. entirely. I'll just wait until I don't hear you in the hallway anymore. And then I'll take my dog out. And like, that's a, which is so dumb. It's so dumb and it's so yeah. small, yeah. but it does have this like, knock on social impact and that's what i mean know, by dumb over like, periods of time that's what i mean i didn't mean like what you're doing is dumb what i mean is like it's so like that is so dumb like that is such a dumb 
thing that we have going on right now that we're, like our yeah. minds work that way. It's just yeah. fucking stupid. It, it, the, my the thing that makes me the like personally in my life, I think the biggest like social effect and like lasting social impact that I will have is um I used to be. I used to be like a really big hugger. Like, you know, you're saying bye to your friends. You give them a hug. And I feel like now. Thank God that's over. <laughs> I really, I really like it. Like it's, it's nice to have like a really. But you would just nice do it. You would just do it from behind <laughs> and like, and suddenly. And it's always like, oh, Jesus Christ. That was, yeah. that was just you. Yeah. That was just for you. Yeah, for well, you. And I was trying to it. send you a message. You just never seemed to pick up on it. But. Anyway, that's bids, another thing. Bids for connection. But, but it does make me bump. The the thing though that I really appreciate about wearing the mask is like <clears throat> I've never um in my life thought I'd be so well trained at smizing. Like I feel like my smize yeah. game is on point now. Yeah. Like I, I don't can, even smile. I literally just go I yeah. just wince. I can smile with my eyes. Yeah. So fucking well now. Guys, yeah. I am so excited <clears throat> to not have to smile with my eyes ever again. <laughs> Potentially. You know what? I actually quite like though. The one thing I kind of like is like you know what you know when you see someone with a mask on and they're they're like really attractive with a mask on, and there's like well, there's you, like a, well I don't know. You've never you've never noticed know. it. Like th- th- there's a bar that I go to and and read and the bartender is always wearing a mask and she but she she's she's a she's a very gorgeous human being, but with a mask on. I'll, even then, just very beautiful, and I'm always and but. But the, but what what I feel like that that does is that it 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 provides a sense of like it's kind of like when you watch a horror movie and like the most effective horror is is the stuff they don't show you, you know the things that psychologically you run through your head and you go holy fucking shit but you didn't you never saw anything right like mm-hmm. like Blair Witch you don't see anything <clears throat> you just see a guy the scariest scene in that whole movie is a guy just standing in a corner in a dark room mm-hmm. like that movie is terrifying but you don't see a goddamn thing in it. And, and so with this, like with this woman at the, at the bar, um, I don't know what, I don't know what she looks like under the mask, but, mm-hmm. but, but my yeah, mind, there's something my, interesting about that. Yeah. That there's some, there's the some kind of like you fill in the blanks and it, it, it's a kind of fun game of like, yeah. uh, it's just like a fun little, I don't but know. Picture like this. There's a, there's a, the, 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 uh, there's a guy who, who comes and does massages at our, at our house and, um, and you, yeah, you well, very relatable. Eyes. And, uh, and yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, you close your eyes and you sort of just picture them any way you really want to. And it just, <laughs> well, you feel those strong well, hands all over your body. It just feels really nice. Yeah. And they are very strong and very firm and I very much enjoy them. Um, and, uh, and he, he's, we've only been doing that, uh, in the last, for the last like six months. He's worn a mask every time he's been, you here. don't know what he looks I like. I actually, I actually don't know what he looks like. He doesn't use social media at all. Right. So I don't, I actually don't know what he looks like. So and I, that occurred to me the other day and I went, holy shit, if I walked by him on the street, I, you wouldn't know, might notice him. Like I might recognize his hair. I might recognize, but you like, really might not I? though. Yeah. You actually, really might not. Um, my, my massage therapist actually the same way. Like I, I started seeing her, um, in the last like six months and I have no idea what she looks yeah. like too, because I've only seen her with a mask on. And just like, I mean, I go, how, I go to a place. That is. I don't, I can't, yeah. I can't afford to have them come to me, but like, yeah, no, but like you're yeah. normal. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I Taylor is better than us. I'm not a big investor. That's the whole point of that story was to just, just show how much better he is. Than us. Back to the story. Uh, possibly this whole thing was a reflection of the immune system rapidly shutting down an embryonic infection. 
Uh, quote, in our previous studies with other viruses, we have seen early immune responses in the nose that are associated with resisting infection, said Professor Christopher Chu at Imperial College London, who uh, led the study. He said, together, we these findings imply that there is a struggle between the virus and host, which in our, quote, uninfected participants results in prevention of infection actually taking off, hmm. which is super fucking interesting. Um, some of them have also reported some mild symptoms, such as like, you know, a stuffy nose, sore throat, or a little bit of tiredness. Although since these commonly occur in everyday life, they may have been completely unrelated to the virus exposure. Uh, quote, either way, levels of the virus didn't climb high enough to trigger detectable levels of antibodies, T-cells, or inflammatory factors in the blood that are usually associated with symptoms. Um, other studies also suggest it is possible to shake off COVID during the earliest stages of infection before it establishes a proper foothold. For instance, during the first wave of the pandemic, Dr. Leo Swalding at University College London and colleagues intensively monitored a group of healthcare workers <clears throat> who were regularly exposed to the infected patients, but who never tested positive or developed antibodies themselves. Blood tests reveal that around 15% of them had T-cells reactive against SARS-CoV-2, plus other markers of viral infection. Possibly memory T-cells from previous coronavirus infections, i.e. those uh, responsible for common colds, cross-reacted with the new coronavirus and protected them from COVID. Whoa. That's pretty fucking cool, eh? That is crazy. Yeah. Understanding how frequently people uh, abort nascent COVID infections in the area of uh, in the era of Omicron is complicated because it requires intensive testing for the virus, antibodies, T-cells, and other markers of infection, and because so many people have been vaccinated. Quote, it's likely vaccinated individuals are exposed to the virus and block viral re replication and detectable infections more commonly, Swadling said. There's also no commercially available test that can distinguish between immunity triggered by vaccination and the different variants. So unless a person has recently tested positive, it's almost impossible to know if they have been exposed to Omicron or not, which is also an interesting thought. Like us being triple vaxxed, th th there is a possibility that like we've been, we've had Omicron enter our system and, you know, for whatever reason, biologically, our bodies and the way that we're reacting to the booster shots yeah. have like well, really right prevented now, that's us a, from... Right now, that's a strong chance because we've all had it within the last... We've all had it for sure within the last two months. And that's yeah. the window. That's the window. It's like 10 to 14 weeks is the window within which like right after you get a vaccine or a booster that there's like a very, very small chance of you picking up covid and then mm -hmm. after that 10 to 14 week window, you, you, you kind of open back up to being able to get it, but the protection you have against it being bad is, you know, is still strong. there. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, a friend of ours um, the other day who's also pregnant and uh, her husband had COVID in January and, um, he isolated at home and had to stay in, in a separate bedroom. And during the time that he was isolating, she didn't get COVID and neither did their other son. Um, but then a couple of weeks ago, she was going into work. She still had a couple of weeks left before she started her maternity leave and uh, took a PCR test and tested positive <clears throat> with 
absolutely no symptoms. Mm. And then, of course, she had to uh, stay home um, with their son. And she said that her son was like drinking from the, you know, her glass of water and like doing all this stuff that like she was like, it was impossible to like, you know, I had to take care of him. It was impossible Mm. for me to like keep him from um, being exposed to like my potential uh, virus, even though she wasn't, didn't have any symptoms. And uh, after that, after like the 10 days or whatever, her, their son didn't get it. So like, it's, it's interesting. Like, like maybe, you know, maybe he's Matt Damon and maybe he's totally mute. Well, we were talking about this the other day and we were chatting about the same, the same instance the other day. And something that kind of popped into my head was how, because COVID is so new and, and for most of the pandemic was very not understood. It's probably only in the last, like, you know, six months that we've had, a, 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 you know, gotten our heads around around COVID in a, in a bigger way. But one of the biggest um, sort of like psychological misunderstandings I think we've had is, is that, is that if you're around somebody that gets COVID, I think psychologically, and I would include myself in this group, is that you think that you're for sure going to get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's like it's a like it's a it's a it's a it's a virtual certainty, and you know, and whereas with any illness that you can pick up from somebody else having it, that's not that's it doesn't matter if it's COVID or the flu or whatever. That's just it's just not the case. Like there's got to be there has to be proximity plus 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 you know, whatever those environmental circumstances are for, for that transmission to occur. Obviously with COVID, it seems to be, you know, quite high and very transmissible, but it's not a, it's not, it's not a guarantee when you're with somebody, but, but psychologically, I think, I think I feel like that. And I think yeah. most people probably feel yeah, that me way too. It, re- it reminds me of like, uh, like it's another thing I think that will change from my perspective post COVID is, is like that fear now of like, you know, being with, like Maddie and she gets sick with the flu and we, even if we knew it wasn't COVID, I would be probably more hesitant to like, be, like be around her or be exposed to it because of my experience with, with COVID. And I think of, you know, pre COVID, um, a couple of Christmases in a row, I got really sick and like, and Maddie was like taking care of me and we were still sharing the same bed and like, still like, you know, sharing the same space without any out of second, wedlock second <laughs> yeah. oh my God. Like without no any no. without any no concern no. oh of like God. me possibly transmitting the flu to her and and you know inevitably she ended up getting yeah. it but like it's not something that you like really think about yeah or, it's or almost the exact really opposite yeah, yeah. Um, here's a, here's a interesting story and completely different. Uh, I thought this would be kind of fascinating. Landmark trial compares LSD and psilocybin trips and finds very few differences between the two. So a new study published in the journal of neuropsychopharmacology has reported the results of the first modern clinical investigation to compare the acute effects of psychedelics, LSD and psilocybin. The landmark study reveals little subjective difference between the two psychedelic drugs beyond the effects of LSD lasting longer than psilocybin. Clinical research on the therapeutic uses uh, uses of psychedelic drugs continues to move forward at an incredible pace, uh, which we've covered extensively on the show in the past. Scientists are currently investigating how psychedelics can be used to treat everything from depression and anxiety to cluster headaches and Alzheimer's. But something that hasn't been clinically investigated beyond blurry late-night college dorm room conversations, (laughs) are the differences between LSD and psilocybin. 
And understanding these differences will be important as psychedelic researchers begin to focus on the best ways to therapeutically utilize these previously taboo substances. Does it does it say what what like dose they're comparing or com- comparing? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, anecdotally, the differences between LSD and psilocybin um, often hinge on a natural versus synthetic binary. Uh, mushrooms are natural, so they lead to like a mystical, organic, and introspective experience. While LSD is synthetic, generating electric, jagged, and sci-fi experiences, which is which is really interesting because like I've 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 done both uh, of those drugs a lot over the last few years, and anytime anyone's ever asked me, most people I know who ha- do partake in in psychedelics on like a, a casual basis, most people have had an experience like you guys have had an experience with L- or, uh, mushroom psilocybin, but but a lot of those people haven't had experiences with LSD. And mm-hmm. oftentimes I'll have people ask me what the, like what the key differences are in, in the experience. And they are quite similar, but like they sort of nail it the way they explained it here. But I would, I would, I would always say doing psilocybin is like watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Whereas doing LSD is like watching the star Wars trilogy. They're both epic journeys but they just have very different qualities yeah, to right. their to the way the stories kind of feel, <laughs> you know. Like with with the with the Lord of the Rings, it's very earthy and and like magical. Whereas with yeah. with um, uh, Star Wars, it's very like neon and and lasers and you know so like like cosmic <laughs> right? technology. Yeah, and and that it it is like that really is like the the biggest difference between the two. Um, but setting aside recreational context and zooming is, in on the acute d- effects of the specific drugs, there has been very little research actually done on comparing the two. Is that, do you think um, part of that <clears throat> is shaped by your sort of like preconceived idea of what the experience will be like? Or do no, you think it's just totally... No, no, it's, it's pretty like, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, like e- even from like a visual standpoint of like how the visuals feel between mm. the two drugs... You know, like you, you get distortions with both, but like the distortions on psilocybin are like, are, you know, they're really like wavy and breathing. Yeah, whereas yeah. like distortions on LSD are like, um, almost like, like everything's like outlined with almost like a, a cell shading kind of cartoon esque, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and like things move, but they move in more of like a ge- geometric sort of spacey way it it is it's hard to explain but it is yeah, yeah. It, it it is very obvious that they're not the same mm-hmm. uh one of the earliest studies directly comparing the effects of lsd and psilocybin was conducted all the way back in 1959 by uh harris isbell a controversial pharmacologist isbell's work on psychedelics began in the late 50s reportedly at the request of the cia and mostly conducting uh conducted using african-american prisoners in jail for narcotic offenses Interestingly, his initial findings indicated the two drugs generate similar experiential effects echo the findings of, his, of this new published research. The new study led by uh, Matt, Matthias Lechte from the University of Basel uh, recruited 28 healthy participants, around half of whom had never taken a psychedelic drug in their life. Each subject completed five test sessions, placebo, LSD, which was 100 and 200 micrograms, which is essentially uh, 100 would be one tab and 200 would be two tabs of acid. 
uh, and psilocybin, 15 and 30 milligrams. The sessions were double-blinded, randomized, and each separated by 10 days. Uh, A number of psychological and subjective measures were used to track the effects of each experience, as well as blood pressure, heart rate, and body temperature. The researchers took regular blood samples, tracking hormones such as cortisol and oxytocin, levels of a molecule called brain-derived neuropathic factor, BDNF, were also tracked as prior studies have indicated it could be a useful marker for neuro- neurogenesis. Do we do we do this math before when we were trying to figure out like how how much psilocybin would be in like you know like three grams of mushrooms? I we think, did. I think that the study the study that we looked at, uh, which was the study by um, the British fellow that I wanted to get on the podcast but haven't been successful in doing, um, it was the they were studying psilocybin versus the um, antidepressant drug. And that was, I believe, 25 milligrams. And we thought at the time that that was like extremely low, but it was that 20, like in a gram of mushrooms, there's X amount of milligrams of psilocybin. And I believe it was like somewhere in the neighborhood of like, of like three to five grams had 25 milligrams somewhere mm-hmm. in that in that in that neighborhood yeah so i was imagining like it sounds like like it would have to be a, a fairly significant dose of psilocybin yes. to be equal to a tab or two of yeah acid right? yeah my i i don't know I, I i i could probably whip up the math um uh yeah so 30 uh 30 milligrams of psilocybin is uh is like slightly less than five grams so Okay. Which is which that makes a lot of sense compared to like a tab of acid. You're you're looking at like a three and a half to like four gram kind of experience with like one tab of acid. Hmm. Um uh the quote subjective effects that were in indi- induced by both doses of LSD and the high thirty milligram dose of psilocybin were largely comparable, whereas the fifteen milligram psilocybin exerted clearly weaker effects. Uh, the researchers write that in the study that quote Ratings of the high 30 milligram psilocybin dose were nominally, uh, nominally between the 100 and 200 microgram doses of LSD, indicating that 30 milligrams of psilocybin corresponds to about 150 uh, micrograms of LSD. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, again, it's like what, like 150 micrograms, tab and a half. You're looking at like a four and a half gram mushroom dried trip. mushroom trip yeah, yeah. which is a, it's a, yeah, yeah it's a substantial trip like that's Isn't it your, funny how we're how we're like how you know because these things are unregulated and um not <clears throat> not legal like we're, we're we have to like translate from yeah from like lab specific quantities yeah, yeah, yeah. to to like, to like what we did like okay. yeah yeah it's that's what like we did uh, at the party that's like, like one piece summer. of toast with peanut butter and <laughs> yeah. a handful of mushrooms yeah. right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, across a number of scales used to measure subjective altered states of consciousness the differences between the two psychedelics were mostly dose dependent the highest psilocybin dose tested led uh, to slightly lower subjective effects compared to the highest L- lsd mm. dose Psychologically, the effects of the two drugs were slightly different. Psilocybin seemed to lead to greater increases in arterial blood pressure, while LSD resulted in elevated heart rate. Mm. Overall, however, the researchers indicated that these differences were somewhat negligible. Quote, when combining elevations of heart rate and blood pressure into the rate pressure product, the high dose of psilocybin and both doses of LSD exerted overall similar cardiovascular stimulation 
whereas the smaller dose of psilocybin exerted overall weaker effects, mm. uh, which, you know, all that, all that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's funny because I, I used to, <clears throat> um, like when I first took mushrooms, I remember somebody who had like not had mushrooms before asked me what I thought it would be like to do acid. And I was like, I imagine that, um, if smoking weed was like riding a bike and eating mushrooms was like driving, you know, uh, a car, then, then dropping acid would be like blasting off on a sp- spaceship. Yeah. But then not, not it, so though, but it's yeah. funny because the more I took, the more I, I had, I would eat mushrooms or like experience a mushroom trip. And the more, the more I would eat, the more I was like, Whoa, this is like profoundly like mind altering and like a, a, a can be a very intense yeah. psychedelic experience. So then I was thinking like, man, how much more intense could dropping acid be? But again, yeah, and, well, basically that, depending and, on dose, it's. And that it psilocybin is like, uh, so like psilocybin is, is specifically is very, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel. I know that we're, we're kind of like comparing and contrasting around different substances. But like for me, if I, if I were to smoke weed um, or eat weed, uh, like there's not really a big difference between quantities. It's kind of like an on or off. Yeah. Um, yeah. And whereas, yeah. you know, whereas yeah. with, psil- yeah. with psilocybin, I mean, like you can take a half a gram of mushrooms and, and just, and just generally feel like really like in just like a really good mood. Like you're not yeah. going to have, you're not going to have any like really, you're not going to have any obvious distortions or anything that you really see. You're just going to feel really great. But you and, take five times you know, that amount. Then you're like, Whoa, this and is you're going to be, experience. And, and, you're, and you could feel like you're, you could feel like you're in another dimension. So yeah. like, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, it's, it's very, um, I think a lot of people, especially people who haven't had that experience, which, you know, whatever they, for whatever reason that that's the, the idea or the fear, especially behind an unregulated product mm. um, is, is that, is that it is on or off and that yeah. the yeah. on could be really bad. I, mm. I think that's a really good point too, for people who haven't experienced that or who have maybe like smoked weed before, but that like would be worried about, you know, what are, are nervous to try um, other psychedelics like, like psilocybin or yeah. like LSD. Um, it is that like with THC, I know I'm either on or off and, and I actually don't care for the feeling of, of being high anymore. I just get too paranoid. But with um, psilocybin, I really enjoy it because I feel like it's it's more of like a meditative, like more of like a yeah. a like um, I don't know, like more of a a a, a mindful journey that yeah. I take when I when I eat mushrooms rather than just like getting high yeah. and fucking being paranoid. They, uh, I mean, to your point that you made earlier, Brian, they say at the very end of this uh, article, they say these findings further support the view that alterations of states of consciousness that are induced by LSD and psilocybin are more likely dose dependent rather than substance dependent. Mm-hmm. And that the differences in their pharmacological profiles do not rel- uh, relevantly influence subjectivity uh, or sorry, subjectively experienced effects. So it's, um, you know, th- for someone out there, for anyone out there who's like, you know, just recreationally ex- ex- exploring uh, psilocybin and has, and has like, the interest in trying LSD to see what, what that experience is like. Um, just know that uh, it's, it's not, 
it's not the LSD that like we that that we had like the fear of God put into us when we were kids, yeah, thinking that yeah. it's yeah. some fucking I think crazy altered that, state that is different than if you're if you're doing mushrooms and you want to try LSD, just know it's gonna pretty much be the same. The colors will be a dif- different, and it's just gonna last uh, significantly longer. <laughs> And that's like that's really uh, like that that type of research is like really important. And and now yes, I'm recalling yeah. the name of the of the of the 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 uh, psychopharmacologist who did the study that we're referencing with the psilocybin and the, um, the antidepressant. Yeah. His name is David David Nutt, and he has. Um, I would really really recommend um, anybody who's interested in this topic. I I could not recommend more listening to David Nutt on Peter Atia's podcast. He does an incredible job at going into the objective objective um, impacts that that different drugs have on individuals and then their knock-on effects on society yeah. versus how we've treated those drugs in society and the and the disconnect between those two in a lot of cases and like an acid is acid is very is probably at the top of the list like yeah. in terms of in terms of how demonized it is socially yeah but how but like how those those that demonization does not translate into yeah. the effect that it has on a person who who participates in it I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Um, speaking of uh, a more sci-fi uh, trip, uh, this is a really interesting article. Um, uh, inside the push to study sex in space. So late last yeah. year, uh, a team of five Canadian academics, academics published a proposal calling upon major space organizations to, quote, embrace a new discipline of, the st- of study. This new discipline, they argued, may provide vital to the success of planned efforts to push deeper into space and potentially build off-world human settlements. They called this supposedly game-changing new field of research space sexology, the scientific study of extraterrestrial intimacy and sexuality. Isn't this fucked? In other Isn't words, fucked fucking up? in space. <laughs> Isn't it fucking crazy that we are, that there's a real, real scientific proposal? Oh, yeah. I'm going to get that, someone that, on the, I'm going to get someone on the show to talk about this. That references colonizing another yeah. planet. And that, well, hey. and like, that is like, but how could you not look into like, that? But, I mean, if you, I, it, 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 you know, with, with someone like Elon Musk in the world who's like, I want to, you know, put people on Mars for real. Like, yeah. how, how can you not explore this? I know. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I know. But isn't it fucking crazy? It's yeah. We're living <laughs> in the future. Uh, quote, rocket science may is. take us to outer space. The proposal, the proposals authors added in a related article, quote, but it will be human relationships that determine if we thrive as a spacefaring civilization. It's easy to brush this proposal off as frivolous musings of horny academics. 
overstating the importance of their specialties and yeah, in hopes of that's what we a that's what we were doing. Yeah. Um, uh, but if you, if you pick through the text, it actually lays out a simple yet compelling argument. If we ever truly want to establish off-world settlements, um, then we need to be informed. Uh, plan plans for managing relationships and reproduction in those outposts. Sexual intimacy is vital for most people's uh, physical and mental health. So astronauts on multi-year missions may want or even need to maintain some kind of sex life while in space. We know that space environments can seriously warp an, any number of bodily processes. And by extension, that sex and intimacy in space will not work like they do on Earth. Yet there has never been a concentrated, dedicated effort to hash out the details of how to manage these core aspects of human life beyond our little blue orb. Do you guys do you guys feel like it was a massive missed opportunity to not ask Chris Hadfield about jerking off? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, like if we could redo that conversation, do you think it would be a I think priority if you to ask asked, that question? I think if you asked him from a from like a if you framed it from a more of a using more scientific language, he probably would have just not even missed a beat. You know, he wouldn't have, but you know what he would have done? And I know this for, I know this for a fact because I've spent, I spent so much time with him. Um, he wouldn't, he won't go there. He won't talk about it. Oh, really? Um, yeah. It, and, and this is NASA's prerogative and, and CSA and ESA and, and, and Jack's like all those, all those agencies. I feel they, like it's they, off brand. They, they very much mm -hmm. are not willing to even touch the subject. Um, Why? Um, well, they, they kind of go into, in, into it in this article. Um, Maria Santaguida, a psychologist at Concordia University. Her and I just uh, connected on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're going to have her on the show. We're going to try. Uh, and one of, the, one of the proposal's co-authors notes that she and her colleagues are not the first to highlight the importance of studying sex in space. A handful of researchers spread across several continents and disciplines have been pushing this point for at least 30 years. Uh, over the last few years, especially, concerns about our collective lack of knowledge in this field have started to catch on with the public as well. A few artists have even created eye-catching speculative designs and prototypes of contraptions meant to help astronauts bang in the void uh, in effort to get people thinking about the issue. Dude, I added wait, the word bang. I was going to ask. And I, I, so I looked into this. I looked into this. There was this woman um, uh, who made this, this like fuck sack for, for astronauts. Uh, uh, the, the third law of motion may not be the most romantic starting point for sex in space. It is, however, crucial. The law states that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And on Earth, that's fine. Two people moving away from each other can rely on gravity to stop them from flying across the room. But in a weightlessness environment, that would be a problem. As a way to overcome it, uh, Vana Bonta, she's a writer, actress, and sci-fi poetess and space enthusiast, uh, developed two suit a two-seater spacesuit that will zip two astronaut lovers inside. Vanna came up with the idea in 2006 on a zero-gravity flight arranged by the National Space Society, <laughs> but didn't test the suit until September of 2018. <laughs> its inaugural outing was on board the G-Force 1, also called the Vomit Comet, uh, that stimulates zero gravity. Uh, during trials, the History Channel filmed the first weightless kiss for this documentary, and Vanna spoke of the suit rather disconcertingly, in both romantic and practical terms. She said, quote, the feeling of no attraction between two masses impressed me, she said. Once you attach the suit, two people can be inside of it, like a large bag, and have some privacy. Also, it can be useful in emergency situations as it can store body heat. <laughs> At first, we found it impossible to kiss. 
But the two suits, the two suits stabilized us, she added. <clears throat> in two years' time, people could go in their first honeymoon in space. But this needs to be done responsibly as there's an issue of pregnancy. Um, and pregnancy is, a, is an issue when we think about this whole idea of fucking in space. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of uh, risks associated with it. So here's, here's the things that we, we don't actually know about sex in space. I'll just um, say before you say that, 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 that it might be because I am a- having a baby at any moment. But from the very beginning of this conversation, that's all I thought about. Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> so it, I was like, it, making baby. This is about making a baby in space. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. How, do you, crazy, how do you how do you proliferate? The the thing before you go into like describing um that, like the thing that strikes me so much about this is like is like obviously there's a proposal for this to be studied. So isn't it funny when like you know how like everything that happens on the International Space Station is like laid out yeah. and like like itemized yeah, and agenda yeah, yeah, and schedule yeah. and like every like the timing of everything is so important and everybody in the control center and yeah. like all involved parties are like you know know exactly what's it's going like a on. big episode of big brother a floating episode of big brother so, right, for, for everyone right. at the so, johnson space center right so they're just like so they're like okay up up next uh uh john and jane are gonna uh fucking the two suit in, uh, capsule two suit yeah. <laughs> and uh and so like like the other astronauts that are like standing by are like okay and uh, we will be doing this today without contraception so uh, uh, make sure you do not put on the space condom <laughs> which is just so funny because like it like is doesn't it does it not have to happen like that like isn't that how it would have to it be would if it initially? was it would if it was up there yeah like on the iss right um, like they're not just like let we'll just they're not just like hey astronauts um we just put the two suit on board in case like yeah. you're interested. If you don't in, put like, it on the sketch, yeah. it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, well, I will say this, like one thing that I know, one of the, one of the probably, and I'm, this is speculation, but I, I feel pretty confident in saying this. One of the reasons why they're probably uh, not really very much into the idea of their astronauts having sex, because like the, co- the, 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 the ISS missions are co-ed, right? We've got yeah. there, you know, oftentimes there's, there's, uh, more than uh, there's there's a female astronaut oftentimes a, a male astronauts that are going up so at any one given time up there there could be several females Guys, several males people have banged on the iss i was thinking right so, so but yeah. here, here's my point yeah. and, and yes very possible but um nasa or, or or whoever else you know whoever else we're thinking about here in terms of the organizations they're not going to want that to be happening strictly because of the social like yeah. problems that could arise from that. You know, you get two astronauts up there, start fucking and then they have a blow that like a blowout of their relationship and, and they've got two more months to be up there with each other. Like that could yeah. be really, that could but be really do, bad. Do you think, so do you, do you think though, because like I would guess Tay, I'm with you. I, I, I would guess that it probably has happened, but do you, are there not cameras like literally everywhere on the no. ISS? No, no, no. Uh, I imagine yeah. there was like a live feed going back no. to like, you don't think so? No, no, no. For sure not. Not yeah. in everywhere. No, because no. they've yeah. got to have some privacy or else you, like, they're yeah. already so psychologically taxed just by yeah. their their very situation, let alone like. Yeah. I feel like also, that's why the training is so intense. Can you imagine but, nothing in space? You're just seeing a bunch <laughs> of fucking jizz like floating yeah. up like yeah. past your face and yeah. you're just like grabbing it imagine imagine you say so uh, w- that, and then it just like fucking got stuck on the control well because it could get stuck on the fucking 
control console or something. It just floats or what? It just floats and hits the wall. You got to like, dispose think, of it. Do you think you could like like while the jizz is floating around, you could like you could grab it, manipulate Shit. it, make like little like like you know little little cum origamis. Like that will be a yeah, thing. Maybe. that will be a thing eventually. <laughs> uh, since early days of human space exploration in the mid twentieth century, we've recognized that low gravity environments have major effects on almost every human bodily system. Like blood, blood flow, muscle and uh, skeletal strength, uh, even hormonal balances. We've also recognized that without the protection of the Earth's magnetic field, people in space are exposed to wildly high uh, levels of ambient radiation that over time can mess with our body's DNA, potentially leading to a host of conditions ranging from radiation sickness to cancer to nerve degeneration. Early space biology understandably put a focus in, into figuring out how to keep astronauts alive in this hostile environment and how to rehabilitate them once they return to Earth. These early space missions were also so intense, brief, and cramped, usually just a couple of people in a tiny metal can hurtling into a, a brutal and unknown vacuum that there was no reason to ever really consider sex. But in the 1980s, after the Soviet Union launched the Mir, a groundbreaking space station that allowed astronauts to remain in space for months on end, space scientists, including some in the United States uh, National Research Council, started to raise concerns about the effects of long-term space travel on sexual and reproductive health. Reports from the Times stress how little we knew about the effects of space environments on fertility and sexual functioning. And when the USSR started running co-ed missions, also in the 80s, public commentators got to musing in the press about the prospect of sex in space. Was it happening? Would it be, what would it be like? Uh, would it be even safe? Over the last decade or so, the increasingly real prospect of sex or space tourism and settlement efforts has fueled a new burst of popular interest in extraterrestrial sex. Articles, conferences, and even TV specials on the nitty-gritty details of how doing it in space might or might not work now abound. They oh, detail CTV makes a good one. <laughs> they detailed how in low gravity environments, any thrusts or push might send two people flying away from each other. How low, how low gravity's effect on hormone levels and blood flow might take a toll on people's sex drive and, and make it harder for, uh, to get physically aroused. How liquids pool up for a lack of gravity, potentially leading to giant globs of sweat and cum floating about. They didn't <laughs> they say, say cum. that. They did. They actually no. did. I didn't make that up. In no, the eighties, who cum. wrote this article? It does. Say, yeah. Uh, this, isn't a, this isn't a Google Doc, so it's hard to say that Jared didn't just add that. <laughs> uh, in, yeah, yeah. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, in the 80s, NASA reportedly dismissed concerns about the effects of space, uh, space on sexual health as, quote, professional carping by biologists, a big stink over nothing. Quote, they believe the annual studies in space that some scientists have called for are difficult and uninformative. Celia Hooper of the United International Press wrote in a 1988 expose on the topic a waste of cargo space. Eventually, the agency has changed its tune. A NASA representative told Mike, this is a, from a website called Mike, it's a, it's a magazine article, or website, uh, told Mike and its partner, it and its partners have, quote, studied the basic science of reproductive physiology in several species, including fruit flies, worms, snails, jellyfish, frogs, uh, chickens, and rodents. Whoa, do they have jellyfish on the ISS? Do they have everything up there? No. Yeah. Several other space agencies and extra, external research groups have conducted their own studies on space effects on sexual and reproductive health, and academics have just started Whoa. to compile comprehensive reviews of their findings. Dude, what what is it like having a jellyfish 
in water. It's the same in, in space. A jellyfish in space is the same as a jellyfish in water. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, you take a you take a jellyfish out of water and bring it and bring it like like we we pulled one out right now. It would just be a blob of nothing in my hand. But you take a jellyfish out of water while in space. Yeah, yeah the jellyfish would, is just float, the jellyfish. But it but it couldn't live. And it goes no, it doesn't. And it does this. <laughs> it That's, flies around. That makes me think of like like all those. It's got where, nothing like, to push against. Like all those animes where you see like basically like fish or whales yeah. and stuff in space. Floating they to, suddenly yeah. now make so much more sense. Yeah. Though mm. obviously they're not alive. So you guys, the science checks out. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I mean, this article goes on and on and on, but uh, pretty, pretty fucking interesting stuff, eh? The, the just the thought of like, you know, someday, very likely, someday, someone is going to be the first person born in space. That is crazy. You know, do you? So, yeah, if you had to a, bet, I mean, that's a major, that's a major obstacle, right? If like, you, had, it's got to be. If you, had I mean, to like, bet. look at Kyla. Well, you know, it'd probably be a lot easier though. You know, like Kyla, I see Kyla walking around, and I'm going, Jesus Christ, man. What's it like walking around with that like that fucking, fucking full on like kitchen pot yeah, but, inside your belly yeah, full of but stew? But it's not the but it's not the it's not the it's not the person carrying the baby. It's the it's the how 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 do like you know how when uh, when you when an astronaut leaves Earth, it's like Chris Hadfield said the first piss you your take, bones yeah your bones you're you you start pissing out your bones you you have yeah. like a a massively elevated calcium <clears throat> content in your in your urine after you, the the first time you pee when once yeah. you leave earth that's right and like the, this baby so being born this baby like being born is going to be born like ivar the boneless from vikings he'll just b- be born with these like gangly fucked up legs that Dude. just like and like new. how and and in that development stage when like when all those systems are forming and blood is and like blood supplies i mean blood supply is like a crazy crazy i mean it's the thing that makes a pregnancy be- happen successfully so how does that wouldn't it be wild though? Like if, if it was just like like the first baby is born in space and they're going, We really have no idea. This baby's probably gonna come out just mush and just like no bones in it. And it's just gonna be like a just a like a like a sheath of baby skin with like fingers and toes. And the baby comes out fully formed and just goes, Hello everyone. We've been waiting. <laughs> it was like it's like it's like space just it was like space took the baby we used to uh it's funny because that's what we actually it would be appropriate for taylor to have a kid there then because we used to call taylor no bones when uh when uh he got really drunk you know no that's <laughs> kyla dude kyla's no bones <laughs> kyla is no bones. Not, i'm not so you no guys, bones. i'm you guys, I'm, I'm i'm wrecking ball Except that one time, Taylor's, I, uh, Taylor, I'm Boner King. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> boner jams, actually, which is funny. Uh, I'm boner King. Can you imagine how like insufferable Taylor would be on cocaine? What's <laughs> <laughs> really funny is is uh, is the t- the time that I was walking home from a party with with Taylor to my mom's house. And we were both really drunk, but Taylor was. Uh, Taylor was on a different level from me. Extraordinarily drunk. And uh, it was the middle of winter and halfway home, it was like a 10 minute walk and it took like 40 minutes and halfway there, Taylor just said, I'm just, I'm just tired, man. And he just laid down in the fucking snowbank, and I was like, dude, get up. And I could not get him up and he was just, he was so heavy. And then finally I was like, dude, the cops. And he just (laughs) stood up. So solid and shit. And he's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And I just kept having to say, dude, the cops are there. The cops are there. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. 
And then he walked home and then he peed all over my basement. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This fucking psychopath's oh going to be a dad in a couple of weeks. Um, that's why I really love the movie uh, Wally because it's so it? accurate to like the human beings that are that live in space. They just have to yeah. be yeah. float around on these like floating. Yeah, pedestals Wheel, or like floating yeah. like wheelchairs, basically. Yeah. Um. Here's a here's a really fun uh kind of uh well I mean I was gonna say feel good article but it <laughs> I'm sure someone's not gonna feel so good about it. Um. We had a wonderful live show uh about a week ago or two weeks ago now, um with uh, our friend Hannah from from all the way over in in the Netherlands, and uh, Hannah is uh, a animal technician who works specifically with um, lab animals, uh, animals that are being tested for cancer research. And of course, uh, her specialty is, uh, is with mice. And uh, one, of, one of the big things we talked about on that live, that live stream, that live show, was the ethics that go into treating, uh, the ways that we treat these animals when they are uh, in, that, in that environment. Of course, you know, these animals are euthanized, for the benefit of human, you know, human life and, and for, you know, drugs and, and treatments for cancer. And so that's a very, that's a very sad thing, obviously, but Hannah's job and, and thank God people like her exist. Her job is, is really to be there to make sure that these mice live the best life that they can while they're, while they're in this, uh, this place that they've found themselves in. So, uh, uh, she, Hannah actually sent a, an article in our discord uh, the article is titled Playpen Access Improves Rat Welfare. Uh, there is a growing evidence to suggest that providing rats with access to playpens, enclosures containing a wider range, or, wide range of environmental uh, enrichment items uh, than, than, other than standard caging, improves their overall welfare. During playpen sessions, rats can perform species-specific behaviors, including upright stretching, burrowing, and climbing. Facilitating natural behaviors such as these have been shown to promote good physiological and psychological health, which reduces animal-to-animal -animal variability and improves the quality of data obtained from those animal models. Here's an image that came with this article. It's, it's, I fucking oh love this fucking God. picture. Just three uh, super adorable mice in a in a in a McDonald's fucking ball pit. <laughs> they I, mean, no, I mean, no, no offense to. Uh, no offense to whoever wrote this article, but this is about as this is about as obvious to me as saying I know, that humans I know. do better when they when they're allowed to speak to each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rats who are able to use a space that is larger, more structurally complex than standard housing are reported to be calmer and more confident when handled. Uh, in their new in this new paper, Professor Emma Robinson and colleagues add to this evidence base, showing that spending time in a playpen increases indicators of positive effect state mood in rats and reduces the impact of a, of a neg negative experience. Emma and the team used a, an effective base uh, bias tests to look at the impact of playpen sessions on male Leicester hooded rats that have been given FG7142, a drug known to induce an anxious state. After spending one hour in a playpen, the negative effect of FG7142 on the rat's mood was significantly reduced. Oh. suggesting playpen access could be used to refine studies that involved uh, adverse procedures. So literally making, making these rats um, anxious, putting them in a fun house and, and seeing that the drug that's making them anxious doesn't even Isn't that hold a, on to that effect. 
Isn't that a fucking crazy study though? It's when you wild. when you really think of it, and and like you can just basically to really get a gauge for what they're doing, you can basically just substitute rat for human. Yeah. Imagine it's like we took the group of humans and injected them with this thing that made them have. Yeah, injected them with LSD without their knowledge, <laughs> and then put them in and a McDonald's ball out. pit. Yeah, and then and then we just we put it. Yeah, we put them in a we put them in a, a fucking like we just put we put these grown adults in a in a children's like daycare center, and they just they they loved actually it. they were chilling, they were painting, having a good time, talking about all sorts of stuff. Uh, this is kind of cute. The team also showed that rats found exploration of a playpen to be a positive experience. The welfare state of rats can be measured. By recording the frequency of their ultrasonic vocalizations, oh, so call crazy. calls that fall within the fifty khz range. What's that? That's like kilohertz. Kilohertz. Yeah. kilohertz uh, so calls that fall in the fifty kilohertz range are associated with positive experiences, such as mating, playing, and consuming food, and being tickled. Oh. Oh, and thus, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and thus, can be used as a way to quantify welfare. So during the exploration of a ball pit or playpen area, rats emitted significantly more 50 kilohertz vocalizations than when they spent time in an empty control area. Oh. It's like, again, it's like, it makes me so happy that they're getting this, but it makes me so sad that this is how they're getting they it. They had to study it too. Like, like yeah. they're like, they, they, it's, it's like a schoolyard of kids, like, Playing together, imagining that noise, and then watch, and then looking at an empty and, and then an adult like, coming and plucking one of them up and just breaking their neck <laughs> in front of all the other kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love that you went there. <laughs> That's I not what happened. Hey, but... hey, they broke the neck ethically, though. They they've got techniques. They do it real <laughs> it quick. A, it was they an do... ethical breaking. Oh. <laughs> Oh shit! So sorry, everybody. Uh, listen, let's uh, let's change it up. This is the last one for today, and we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up. Uh, this is fucking cool, man. This is really cool. I love three D printing. I think three D printing is a really neat thing. This was put in our Discord from Stina. Thank you, Stina. This four thousand year old skull just received a new face. So for four thousand years, a woman laid undisturbed in a stone lined grave amid the forests of northeastern Sweden. She had likely followed animal migrations through the trees and along the Indalsalvin River when she died in her 30s of unknown causes. Sorry, I think, is that an Ikea product? <laughs> yes, it's a, the, the Indalsalvin uh, shelf uh, river. Uh, when, she, when she died in her 30s uh, from unknown causes, she was buried with a boy, perhaps her son, estimated to have been around seven years old. Which, which is fucking crazy because you're going, hold on here. She died, and then they were like, "Well, just bury the boy with her, you know, like, but like, put the boy, boy's the, fine." But and the you, boy was wasn't dead. They <laughs> ethically broke his neck. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and oh then my they god. Just put and then, and then and then they tossed a few uh, uh, chromagnon balls in there to <laughs> let them play. Um, fast forward to 2020, when Oscar Nilsson, an archaeologist who meticulously uses uses clay to reconstruct faces from thousands of years ago, he was approached by curators from the Vasternorlands Museum in Sweden. The museum had in its possession the two skeletons um, he, he excavated uh, from a, a century ago from, from a hamlet known as Lagmansaren. That's a dining room table. Yeah. The Stone Age pair were the oldest skeletons found in that region of Sweden, uh, where harsh conditions don't lend themselves to preservation. 
The museum was building an exhibit tracing 9,500 years of human habitation in Sweden and wanted to show vis- visitors the oldest face from the north, the woman from Lagmansaren. Uh, but what, what would her face look like? So over the past 20 years, this Nilsson guy has become a pioneer in reconstructive archaeology, bringing more than 100 long-deceased human ancestors to life. He begins his work by laying more, layering more than a dozen muscles made of clay onto a 3D-printed replica of the, of the discovered skull. He then places small pegs to in, indicate tissue depth, which varies depending uh, based on age, gender, weight, and ethnicity of the individual. These pegs hold up a layer of plastic, uh, plasticine clay skin. Many features can be accurately predicted using the record left in bone. And when Nilsson went about building the Stone Age woman's face, he considered what he already knew. She was just under five feet, uh, short even for her time. She had protruding teeth, which shaped her mouth in a distinctive way. Her nose was a bit asymmetric. From her profile, he could tell uh, it was turned upwards. Her eyes were set low in the face, and the mandible bone, the lower jaw, was quite masculine. She possessed an interesting blend of male and female features, he thought. This reconstruction took Nelson 350 hours to complete, and when he was done, the woman was clothed in a tanned animal skin made from Stone Age techniques by Nelson's colleague, uh, Helena Jerem, and a, a bird claw necklace dangled from her neck, and a tight bun kept the hair off her face as she traveled among the trees 4,000 years ago. So here's, here's a photo. How fucking Whoa. wild is that? That's, a, that's not a real human. Whoa. Isn't that cool? Oh, that is really that is This really guy cool. made that. Man. How neat is that, man? Man, with, the, uh, with a lot that's of the... Cr- yeah, that's crazy. You know, Jerry, you and I are both big fans of Corridor Digital, and yeah. they've been doing a lot of work with like AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, recreating voices and faces and stuff. And yeah. it's, it's interesting to see that, like... You could then map like a voice to it and yeah, yeah, totally. and start to animate it and and basically bring back somebody from uh, however many years ago. Yeah, was, which is yeah. wild. It's pretty cool. I think yeah. there's like there's like something about like something about like um like Roman or like once you once you go back before like Roman Empire uh and like the Greek um like ancient Greece. Like once you go back further than that, it seems like it's it's a lot harder to to like wrap your head around people existing and what that was all about. Because I I, I guess I I guess I, I don't know. Do, I'm not a, I'm not I'm not good enough at history to know this, but like I get the sense that like the like Greece is pre Mesopotamia is sort of like the is sort of like the the first major uh like widespread example of like city building and um it was like me- I mean I, I think guess it was probably happening in other places but I think it was Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia first and then and then Greece was second and then the Romans but that's but, all but in the same place that. that's a, that's yeah. also not considering the fact that there most certainly was uh ancient aliens and they were here Probably, yeah, probably seven, seven or eight million years ago that in, of course in, yeah in flying ships and shit 
Yeah. Um, but um um like like the first like Homo habilis was Homo habilis the first one? But like those the evolution of like the human skull and like mm. how you know like how tool like tools using tools like shaped mm. the way that the pre-human human beings interact yeah. with one another. It's yeah. Really yeah. Cool stuff. I, 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 I'd like to see more of this Nilsson guy's work because it's, it's very fucking fascinating. Um, well, that's it, folks. We, we don't get to uh, what the hell this week. Uh, just kind of cutting things short. Uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, week's episode of Feel Good Friday. Of course, we're always here Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. And if you want to support the podcast, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or you can uh, hit us up on Spotify on the mobile app and leave a review if, or a rating if you're listening on there. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, if you want to send us a letter, um, if you want to uh, send a letter of congratulations to me and uh, my recently uh, possibly grown family, uh, you can do that by sending that to letters at sickboypodcast.com. Um, or if you want to, you know, say anything to us that's, you know, more related to, you know, what we actually do, um, you can do that as well. And if you want to be on the show, you can go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact and fill out the guest form. And if uh, you're just looking to uh, continue this conversation that we're having right now with us online, you can join us in our very own online yeah. community on Discord. Uh, Discord. The link to our Discord server is in the show notes of this episode uh, on YouTube, um, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thank you to the folks that make this show happen. Uh, Jeff Lonis, our manager. Uh, Rich O'Coin for the theme music and then everybody else for all the other work that they do throughout the week. Thank you so much. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.